Hello, and welcome to the Talking Techniques podcast, the show that brings you the latest from the frontiers of life science, straight from the people exploring them. I'm your host, Biotechniques Digital Editor, Tristan Free, and in this podcast, I'll explore the latest developments from across the life sciences, speaking to leaders in their field and people who can provide new perspectives on established topics, while examining how we can advance in the most ethical and progressive ways. Before we get underway, I just want to do a little bit of housekeeping. So due to the current situation with COVID-19, this is the first podcast I'll be recording from home. Um, Thankfully, I managed to escape the office with one of our road mics tucked under one arm and with a Tascam recorder in my uh, back pocket. So hopefully the audio will be up to scratch um, and I'll be doing my best to keep the quality of these podcasts as high as possible um, whilst we're sort of dealing with this pandemic. With coronavirus in mind, uh, I'd like to start the podcast with some words of inspiration from Marie Curie, who once said, nothing in life is to be feared, it is to be understood. So I'll now turn to my guest for this episode, Rob Vries, CEO of Hubrecht Organoid Technology, with whom I'm going to discuss organoids, their advantages and their potential applications in the fight against COVID. I hope that by the end of this conversation, we'll have a better understanding of the work that is being done in the face of fear to instead understand the virus. So, Rob, please can you introduce yourself and your role? Uh, yes, thank you very much. Um, I'm, the, as you said, the, the Robert Vries, the CEO of the Hub. Uh, Hub, Hubrecht Organoid Technology, is a, a spin-off company uh, from the Hubrecht Institute in the Netherlands uh, um, where we originally developed the Organoid Technology and, uh, and in 2013 uh, started uh, me and, and Hans Lever started, uh, started Hub. Uh, to uh, basically implement the technology in industry and and, and clinical use. Fantastic. And what are you working on at Hubrecht at the moment that particularly excites you? Uh, So in in the hub, we work on the the organoid technology and and the basis of that technology is that it allowed us for the first time to take tissue samples from patients and grow them in the lab, expand them and test them with, with drugs. Um, and then, and then um, validate this because we take them directly from patients against the treatments of patients in the clinic. So in, in the clinical validation step, and that is a, a central part of what we what we do, and what indeed I think for the moment is the is the as you said the exciting part of, of what Hub is doing is that by this uh, um, clinical validation, so by looking at what happens to patients in the clinic when they're treated and looking in the lab what happens when we treat organoid and seeing that that is very strongly correlated. Um, basically having for the first time this model system that is, uh, that is representative for, for, uh, for, what, uh, for what is in the clinic. Um, that, uh, and so that clinical validation was the basis of, the, of HOP and is why we uh, and how we are using the platform not only in, the, in, this, in this clinical user, so where we look what the patient's treatment is, but also what validates the model to use it preclinically in drug development. And now knowing that after this uh, years of, of research that we've done on it, that when we have this model system that looks like patients um, using it preclinically to develop new drugs, to understand mechanism, et cetera, um, uh, gives it a, 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 a sort of a warranty, gives it a, a value that indeed what you're seeing in the lab is actually what's going to happen later on when you look at it in the clinic as well. So that, and we started this with cystic fibrosis, and now we're moving to oncology. Uh, it has been uh, very, very uh, exciting to see that we have uh, these patients that are currently being treated and uh, on, on, on lethal diseases based on an, a diagnosis that was done in organoids, 
and uh, and the treatment that we could give them uh, because of uh, uh, pa patients responding in the lab and then now knowing that they indeed also responded in the clinic. Uh, so that indeed I think is uh, is one of the nicest things uh, that we see here uh, in, at the work in the, in, in the hub. So in that cystic fibrosis research, what are some of the most critical developments in your organoid models that have, have helped you um, secure that, that warranty that what you see in those models will translate into the patients? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that, that's, that's an important point. So when we first made the organoids in, in, uh, in uh, 2007 to 2009, the very first models in, 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 in the, then in the academic group of Hans Levers, um, what we tried to do was model adult stem cells from started with the intestine and then very many other organs uh, to try to mimic biology, to basically see can we in a dish mimic the organ and organ function uh, by making these organoids uh, genetically stable. Uh, we knew that we had to do that. We wanted to go healthy tissue without genetic changes because that was the models that people have been using uh, for the last uh, 50, 60 years. Um, and that, uh, so by, by generating this model that was biologically interesting and that basically represented the organs in vitro, um, um, and when that succeeded, and that was the, the first organoids, um, we then soon saw, and that started with cystic fibrosis, that indeed these cultures were, were so representative of the organ they came from that we started testing the drugs uh, uh, in the lab, and we saw differences in responses, uh, high variability, as we know from the clinic. We then compared it to the patient itself, so the patients that were already being treated. Uh, so we took uh, the drugs that these patients were treated from, we took biopsies from these patients, did the experiments in the lab and saw that basically the correlation and so what the organoids respond specific or not responsive to specific drugs and cystic fibrosis in the lab were the same as the ones that were or were not responsive in the clinic. So that then gave us uh, the, the, the idea that, okay, maybe we can not only use this as a preclinical tool, but actually as a, as a predictive tool in, in the, in the, as a, for the clinic, especially in cystic fibrosis, because there are many patients there with very rare mutations that are not represented in clinical trials. So we had a whole patient population that, although there are very good new drugs that are being developed in the last uh, 10 years by, by Vertex mostly, so they have drugs that, that are very effective against cystic fibrosis, but not necessarily approved by the, the, the national authorities for all these very rare mutations. And so what we saw in the Netherlands was that we had organoids from a number of these very rare mutations and tested uh, them and then found that a, a subset of those were very strongly responsive to these new drugs. Uh, then in collaboration with all the different stakeholders, pharma, insurance companies, started treating these patients as well and saw indeed that these patients that were responsive in the lab were also responsive in the clinic. So this is how uh, by taking these different steps, and we still do that also for now, and well, maybe later for inf uh, infectious diseases, but also for immune oncology. First, we make a model that, that represents the biology of the system. Then we look at the clinical representation, and then we compare lab to clinic. And then the, and the last step, we, we, we see indeed if we can, in larger numbers, treat patients according to the, uh, the, 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 the treatments that are represented, uh, that, that look uh, beneficial in the, in the organoids. And then, and just to finish off there, and then in cystic fibrosis, uh, this is where that is most advanced. We've been doing that for the longest time, and indeed, uh, where we see that we have this direct representation, as we are now also we and others have uh, demonstrating for uh, for oncology as well. And so that patient specificity is clearly a key advantage of organoids over perhaps animal model or two D cultures. 
Um, what are the other advantages of using organoids as opposed to animal models or 2D cell cultures? Yeah, I think that's the key point. So what, what we have at, um, in the lab, in a preclinical situations, we, this is where we start developing new drugs. Obviously, because we cannot, uh, we cannot develop these things on the patients themselves. Um, so this means that always we've, had, we've been looking for models that represent patients that we can actually get useful data out of, that when we develop these new drugs, that it means something for what happens in the clinic. And 2D cultures and, and animal models also, they have represented part of that biology that we need to know, uh, that they have, need to have the data on when we do this drug development. Um, it actually is, uh, that is what has led to the medicines as we have them now. So in that sense, they have actually contributed very strongly to, uh, to, to, to drug development in the past. Nevertheless, uh, we have also always seen that when we take a drug to the clinic, the attrition rate of drug development is extremely high. Uh, way over 90% of the drugs never uh, get to market approval because they fail along this uh, path. And then when medicines are finally in the clinic, look at oncology, um, even in the populations that are targeting, the, the success rate is, is, is unfortunately very low. So what we, what we have always wanted is to better represent patients in a preclinical phase. Um, that has always been impossible. However, when we, uh, and actually the organoids, are, uh, they started when, when Hans's group had, had identified the stem cells, the adult stem cells of the intestine. And that allowed us to understand that organ better and that was the basis for the organoids. So basically, understanding stem cell and stem cell maintenance and how stem cells differentiate into the tissue that they're in, that allowed us to mimic this in vitro. Um, and then for the first time, we had this model that actually had uh, cells that were genetically stable as opposed to what, what we see in cell lines. Yeah? So they kept the genetics of the patient. Importantly, they also keep uh, epigenetics or phenotypic marks of the patient so that a lot of the drug resistance or drug responses are, are not only genetics, but are also based on these epigenetic characteristics. So by keep having a culture system that, that first of all was uh, patient-derived uh, and then without genetic changes, also important that uh, we can generate it from many different patients. So we see this, this variety of the population represented in the lab. That is a major change from what we had before. Uh, for animal models, it's at the obvious point that if they give us physiology of a system, but they are, a mouse is not a human, and so we can cure a mouse, but we cannot cure a human. So basically, this means that, uh, that this patient representation, obviously the key point, uh, was the, the, the first advantage, but, but more importantly recently, uh, the organoids are also, and this is what HUB has been doing also uh, over the last uh, years, is that we wanted to generate a robust model. We wanted to be able to do high-throughput drug screening. So, so we wanted a model that is as flexible as traditional cell lines, but has the representation as if you're looking at a patient. So as some, in, in, in basically supporting that together, from our perspective, uh, nowadays uh, with, the, with the current organoid technology 2020, um, uh, the, 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 you can do all these preclinical studies that we are used to doing in cell lines, uh, manipulation, CRISPR, whatever, whereas at the same time you can generate these, these patient-relevant samples of an entire population. And I think so that it is maybe not even so much as an advantage over cell lines, it's just an entirely different way of looking at, uh, at doing preclinical drug development. Okay, so I'd like to have a, to sort of zoom in on that drug development um, and the application of organoids in, in drug development, drug analysis. 
when you were developing these processes was it a case of adapting the organoids to fit existing um, high throughput screening techniques um, or was it adapting the techniques to the organoids? <laughs> yeah, that's a funny point. I think that uh, uh, um, uh, probably a, bit, a little bit of both. That's maybe a, uh, maybe a boring answer, but I think that indeed, so uh, we did have to change a lot of the techniques for the organoids specifically because, it, and that is even more true for for the for the uh, how do you call it for the for the clinical study, but definitely also in drug development. Uh, the, what we are used to in 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 in, in using cell lines, uh, the principles of tissue cultures are not different. However, in equipment uh, and, and equipment is is the same. So in that sense, this is also why uh, most labs can use it. It's in that sense not difficult. It is just that you have to be aware that when working with a model that is patient specific, is genetically stable, you have to be more careful uh, in 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 keeping the quality of your model uh, uh, high. And so basically you have to follow the protocols, you have to use the right reagents, uh, you have to use the right materials, and uh, uh, because it, it is much more sensitive, or maybe it, the other system was also sensitive, but we had no way of comparing it anyway. Uh, but we now know that indeed if you use the organoids, um, if you uh, use traditional uh, just equipment and, 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 and reagents, etc., uh, but are more strict in following protocols, are, are, are strict in, in the principle of, of the organoid technology itself, then, uh, then you can adapt the, uh, the traditional techniques for, for organoids uh, relatively straightforward. Okay, fantastic. Um, so now I just want to take it across into your um, infectious diseases, um, which a HUB has a, a focus on. Um, so you've previously used organoids to study... Um, respiratory sinusitis virus um, on human lung organoids. Is HUB currently using these lung organoids to study um, SARS-CoV-2, the virus responsible for COVID at the moment? Uh, yes. So indeed, uh, the, organoids, uh, the, the point of organoids uh, is that they're derived from healthy tissue and, that, and the advantage there is for infectious diseases that that, that means uh, that they, all the receptors and, and uh, the, the, the expression is uh, the same as uh, normal tissue, which is what is often lacking in cell lines. So uh, this allows you to do infectious disease studies because the viruses indeed will infect the models. Um, for, uh, for corona, for, uh, for uh, influenza, for RSV, uh, we, can use, uh, we can therefore use the organoids, in this case lung, uh, but also uh, other tissues. Um, to to, uh, to to study those diseases, um, it is uh, so. Uh, the the the, uh, the organoids in, in in mechanistically, and that I think is what is interesting. And so, because it has always been difficult to study infection, um, mechanism is, is 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 difficult to represent. Patients different are difficult to represent. And by using organoids, indeed, you get also the insights, just the biology at the moment, eh, because that is that's the state where we are. Eh, uh, the biology is becoming much more clear, the mechanisms of the virus or, or potential drugs uh, in these infections. Uh, we can look in much more detail now uh, when, when using these organoid cultures. And, and so what, what does the sort of study design look like for a, um, to, to analyze the impacts or the biology of, of COVID in your, your lung organoids? 
just have to say that, that importantly, yeah, so these are studies, so these are still relatively academic studies, yeah, so these are studies done in the academic group um, and, uh, and, and, and not at HUB at the moment. So HUB is, moved, so HUB is using the, uh, the, the RSV um, hepatitis, etc. the models that we previously developed here because those are already in sort of an industrial scale and this is obviously very new. Um, so uh, it is basically, it technically is not so different from anything else. Uh, it, it, it is the organoids are um, are, ex are uh, representing the different cell types, are expressing the right proteins. So basically, with uh, any that traditional methods, with the way we have been studying infectious diseases in the past, is uh, is how we can also use the organoids here. Okay, fantastic. So it's it's relatively adaptable then. Where I think it is interesting, or, or the reason maybe where why we are. Uh, uh, why it's interesting and, and, and why it's good that, uh, that, that Hans, is work, Hans Klaver is working on these models is that uh, it is again, and that you see particularly in situations like this, um, when we, we don't know a lot of things in, in medicine still, unfortunately. And, and that is true for cancer, but it's definitely also true for infectious diseases. And uh, in, in, in part that is because uh, it's difficult to study people, obviously, and this is why we use models to begin with. So. This investment into models, and I think this is where organoids, had, why is organoids such a big field these days? It has nothing to do with corona, that was before that, of course, as well, is because we're starting to realize in the advent of, of genetics first and then and, and personalized medicine, is that in order to do, deal with these things, we really need to understand uh, individual patients, we need to understand really human mechanisms, etc. And, uh, and and with, uh, with with simple when we use an aspirin uh, that might be less relevant than when we're looking at oncology or infectious diseases. There's no other way of studying it, uh, and this is where where, where this whole interest uh, in, in in organoids and patient relevant models uh, where it comes from, and also why uh, so many people now are, are using that and working on that. Uh, basically, it, if in, in in the way uh, we are doing things in medicine in in, in 2020 and onwards. Uh, that's probably the only way to develop uh, relevant drugs. Okay, so so we've talked about the advantages of um, using organoids in these uh, infectious disease studies. Um, what are some of the challenges you encounter um, when using them in, in infectious diseases studies? Um, I think that, uh, that that with organoids, the, 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 a challenge and, 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 and maybe also an interesting point is that, uh, and it relates to what I said, that what we do not understand about diseases, and we, we don't really understand the differences between people yet. And we know that, that people respond differently, but what when we were studying biology in the past, that we use a relatively standardized genetic um, uh, genetics of a, of a person. We know the genetic variation between people. The meaning of those uh, we find already quite difficult. The functional differences between people, uh, the protein expression difference, etc. all these differences that we see uh, in patients, but also in the models derived from them, are basically not understood. So that means that when we are using organoids, and especially when you add an additional complexity as an immune system or an infectious disease and a virus to it, is that uh, because of using then combined combination of systems, you, you, you basically multiply the complexity and the specificity, uh, the, 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 the personalized part of that model, and we need to, and this is where also these days AI comes in, where all this uh, 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 computer power is required uh, to understand the differences. And that is what I think is the interesting part, and this is where it becomes personalized medicine, but also where we really are doing this development and where we need all these academic centers 
to study uh, specifically healthy cells to study the differences between people, but also to adapt the way we are looking at biology from trying to understand a mechanism and then generalizing it. Uh, that's what we used to do in biology a lot. We find the mechanism in, in, in one cell or one animal or one person, and then we generalize it to the population. Whereas uh, that, of course, gives us the basic biology of any system. Nevertheless, we are not we are going beyond that. We know that already in a large part. But now we need to see what is different between patients, what is different between mechanisms. And that requires a different way of thinking. And that requires a different way of modeling and, and, and dealing with the enormous amount of data that we get from this. And I think that that is where the challenges are, and that is true for infectious diseases, definitely. Um, maybe in the newspapers now, what is indicative, eh, we have we see all these different people coming out of it, people having no symptoms, people that have symptoms, and no one has any idea why does one person respond so poorly and why does the other one not. And we know risk groups, but we do not understand within a risk group what the differences are. And that is exactly that personalized medicine that we are trying to understand with genetics, with organoids, et cetera. And, and, and also, and that obviously is an interesting challenge, but nevertheless a challenge, because that is a lot of data and there's a lot of studies and a lot of collaboration to generate these resources and biobanks, et cetera, to do these, uh, to do these studies. Okay, so that, that's an interesting point then. So currently it's probably um, too early on in organoid development, um, but do you think in future, if there, a similar sort of um, pandemic was to arise, organoids and specifically patient-derived organoids could play quite a big role in establishing how the virus or whatever the this future pandemic would be um, interacts with different people, why it makes um, has different impacts in people's lives. Could it become something that is standard or is applied as standard in order to try and tackle um, future surges in, in disease like this? I think so, yes. I wanted to say yes right away. I think indeed maybe I should be more cautious as you're saying. It is, it is early in, the, in, 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 this, in, this, uh, in this disease, but also in, this, in the process of, of implementing organoids. Nevertheless, what, 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 in, what indeed is entirely true is that what organoids are now and what we have different from what we did uh, all the way until now is that for the first time we have a personalized approach. So we don't need to use cell lines anymore. We don't need to use animal models. We can just go to a patient. You take a little bit of lung tissue or intestinal tissue and you grow it in a dish and you study it. We've seen that it is representative for patients in many ways. Uh, there's a lot of work to do uh, to show when it is and when it is not, definitely. But we see that it is much closer to the patient than we had before. And then importantly, as, as, as you're saying, that means that now you have this model so you can generate. We're actually doing this in the current uh, uh, EU project as well, uh, the human cell atlas, uh, where um, we are generating these biobanks, these re resources of tens or hundreds of patients to be able to, to uh, have these model systems and then the representation, the differences, uh, uh, and study that and study how these are different in responses to viruses, uh, but also how these are differences in then treatment that follows from this. And indeed, I think that um, with uh, Abbott, uh, having these, these personalized medicine, we can generate a much more personalized approach or maybe identify risk groups as well, as we've been trying to do uh, in, in oncology as well, uh, to understand better what, uh, where, where the people have a risk and where people are, uh, are susceptible to specific infections, as opposed to just saying if you're old, you're at risk, and if you're young, you're not. Uh, because in the end, that is obviously true, eh, and we should not forget that, that 
part of the reason why that is a difference is because the general health of a person is not the same, and that is what doctors are very good at assessing, and organoids will not change that. But what is the difference that organoids can bring is where you have apparently people that are exactly the same, and then what is the difference? And there, in those things, I think uh, this is where drug development is very important, but also where assessments on a diagnostic level uh, will change with, with technologies like this. Fantastic. Um, and if you could ask for, for one thing, it could be absolutely anything, um, to drive forward organoid research to a point where um, it could be fully um, standard use for situations that, that we're experiencing now um, and, and across the board in loads of different disease types, um, what would that one key development or key change be? Um, but I think important, it is important in, in our field, and, uh, and that is something, and this is why it's also, uh, I think, possible, because we already see that in a bit, is that similar to what we did with the huge genetic programs, uh, that, we, that we sequence many patients, that we, um, and that we have these uh, the data records, uh, the, the anonymized, of course, uh, but, but we have these big data records of patients um, of their genetics, but that is what we want for organoids as well, because basically, if we want to understand people, then we need to understand uh, these, uh, these, these, these characteristics. And so what we are currently doing in, in uh, a Human Cancer Models Initiative, actually, with the UK and the US, uh, with the Human Cell Atlas, and also in, in, in many other European and international projects, is to generate these resources, the biobanks, as we call them, of organoids, that, that basically allow us, it, it is a resource so that other labs can also use it academically and commercially to, uh, to understand the models. But uh, what we need to, uh, what we, the generation of these resources, I think that's key. And it is often an, an, an academic collaboration with industry or a government-funded initiative. But basically, uh, like we did with genetics, uh, uh, to generate that, I think, is, uh, is, 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 is one of the things that HUB is, is really uh, pushing for. Unfortunately, it's also uh, in part happening already, uh, and that I think will tell us a lot uh, and help us a lot in, 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 in moving medical research forward in the, in the, in the coming decade. Fantastic. Um, well, that brings me to the end of my questions. Um, Rob, thank you so much for joining us today um, and for speaking to us. Have you got any final words to add? Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Rob. Um, and thank you to those at home um, or at work who are listening to this podcast. I hope wherever you are, you're safe and well. Um, if you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, you can find them in the podcast section of our website. And you can join us next time for the next edition of the Talking Tech News podcast. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and goodbye. Goodbye.